Welcome to another episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we're afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. Our trending fears this week, sunscreen on a plane? The worst fear-mongering TV commercials. Finlandians are dancing, alone, in their underwear. Barry's fear of the week, income inequality. And a Florida man throws feces at a judge. Fear Florida. That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a budget cookie to tell me the way I'm feeling. Gonna be a good day. A good day. Welcome back to Fear Not. It's episode lucky number 13. Alonzo Bowden here with Dr. Barry Glasner, the world's foremost expert on fear. Great to see you again, Lonzo. How's it been going? There's some kind of special I heard. That's right, my friend. Heavy Lightweight, my comedy special, came out on Amazon August 23rd. And guess what? It's still available on Amazon Prime. That's why we call it streaming. You can still stream it. Everybody should listen. And as for me, right after this, uh, I am uh, heading to uh, New York to uh, perform at the uh, Comedy Cellar. Did they lower the standards over at the cellar? Or? You know, that was my attempt at a joke, and I, I, I won't. <laughs> Sorry, Barry. I won't try anymore. I don't do science. You don't do jokes. I won't try anymore. Actually, I'm going to be at a black tie wedding outdoors in New York City in August. You want to talk about fear? There's something to fear. But we're here to debunk fears, and we're here to do that, as always, because the more we know about how the media we consume affects us and how they work on our heads with fear, the better decisions we'll make. So first, I want to thank our listeners. Our audience is growing every week. Keep sharing. Keep giving us five stars. Last week, we answered a bunch of your questions, so send us some more. On Twitter, hit us up at FearNotOfficial, or you can email us at FearNotOfficial at gmail.com. And while you're there, click that subscribe button. Let's get this started. Here we go. Headline number one. This is a two-parter. To get us in the mood, here's an iconic clip from an iconic movie. Warning, language not suitable for kids or Sam Jackson haters. Enough is enough! I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane! Everybody strap in! I'm about to open some fucking windows. <laughs> snakes on a plane that never gets old should have been much bigger than it was. Now, I travel all the time and I can tell you, air travel sucks. Like snakes on a plane, this headline makes air travel suck for just a tiny bit more. The New York Post headline reads, You need to wear sunscreen on an airplane. Yes, be warned. At 30,000 feet, if we sit near the window, we are risking skin cancer. That one worried me because I'm worried about skin cancer. It runs in my family. It's one more thing you need to pack into your three-ounce containers or buy at the airport. And to make it worse, the second part of this story this one is from U.S. News. It says, sunscreen chemicals enter the bloodstream at potentially unsafe levels. So, sunscreen causes cancer, but you're supposed to wear it to prevent cancer. There was a song in the 80s by a guy named Joe Jackson, and the song was called 
everything causes cancer. <laughs> I think we've reached that point. Let's take the use of sunscreen on the plane, that story first. This one goes back to 2015 to when pilots reported that they had increased incidences of melanoma, which is about the worst kind of skin cancer. In a research study that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, two doctors set out to test what kind of UV rays make it through the cockpits of planes and uh, would be causing this. The planes flew over both San Jose, California and Las Vegas, Nevada at the same time, about noon roughly. They did it in April, so the sun was at the same position globally, and the scientists took measurements for both UVA and UVB rays at various altitudes from sea level to 30,000 feet. And here are the findings from the study. UVB rays, the ones that cause sunburn, were pretty much blocked, 99% of them. But the UVA rays, the ones that cause melanoma, only about 50% actually were blocked. So this isn't good because, as the study put it, the pathogenic role of UVA in melanoma is well established. Now here's something else from the scientists. For those who think their skin color exempts them from having to worry about using sunscreen, that would be me. Think again. Damaging UV rays can penetrate all types of skin regardless of your ethnicity. So even people with dark skin need sunscreen. That's right. And I know that a lot of African-Americans don't believe that. That would be me. <laughs> but while skin cancer rates are, in fact, significantly lower for African-Americans and for Hispanics than they are for us Caucasians, low-risk doesn't mean no risk in melanoma serious business. The annual incidence of melanoma is five in 100,000 for Hispanics and one in 100,000 for African Americans. That compares to about 26 in 100,000 for Caucasians. So Okay, let me stop you right there, Barry. First of all, as a black person, it's good to have a win. We win <laughs> on this one. It's good to get a W. Another thing is the odds are one in 100,000. Barry, I've never been lucky enough to win anything where the odds were one in 100,000. So I'm going to take my chances. There you go. All kidding aside, I'm going to get on airplanes and roll the dice, Barry. You might consult uh, your physician. So the scientists concluded that UVA transmission inside airplanes can play a role in pilots' increased risk of melanoma. The most harsh sun you can get, isn't it? The sun at noon over the Nevada desert. Well, and also the pilot's windows, guess what? They're a lot bigger than the one next to my uh, window seat. I know? hope. And plus, I can always pull the blind down. But look, if you're really worried, carry sunscreen with you. But don't put it on until you hear part two. Let's tackle that second one, the sunscreen cancer scare. Now, for years, we've been told to slather on sunscreen every day. SPF 30 at least, preferably 50. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, just revealed new data. Chemicals and sunscreens are absorbed into the human body at levels high enough to raise concerns about potentially toxic effects. The sunscreen study was led by the FDA's Dr. David Strauss. It appeared last May in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. 24 healthy people applied sunscreen per the label's instructions. The study took place in a lab. Important point. The FDA drew 30 blood samples from each participant over a week to see whether the chemicals in the sunscreen got absorbed through the skin. Levels of four sunscreen chemicals increased in the bloodstream, some of them dramatically, and the levels far exceeded the FDA set threshold. That's all according to a dermatologist with the University of California in San Francisco School of Medicine who was quoted in the 
in this uh, uh, story in the press. That person said, quote, it's not like they went a little bit over. It's really quite high, orders of magnitude higher than that. So, Barry, what they're saying is that if you rub the sunscreen in, the chemicals in the sunscreen can get into your blood, also causing cancer. So you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Hmm. Bad day to be white. (laughs) All kidding aside, Barry, how long have people been using sunscreen and no one tested this? That's a really good question, Alonzo. We'll research it. I don't know if there have been a bunch of other studies. But look, how long have people been using sunscreen? And as far as we know, no great damage. So, you know, we've got to ask how seriously to take it at this point. And here's a really important thing for everybody to keep in mind. The experts agree that you should not stop using sunscreen. The known risks of harm from the sun's rays far exceed the potential risks that's posed by these chemicals. Dr. Michelle Green, who's a dermatologist with the Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City, made a key point about this study after it got all this attention. And this is a quote. While there's more than the FDA recommends for their toxicology, we really don't know what that means in terms of human health. So in other words, we have another study like the processed food one that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a very small scale study, a lab study done under conditions that are different than in real life. When you're out in the real world, you're walking, you're sweating, a lot of other things are playing into it. Right. So what do we do? Here's what the experts recommend. Let's just stick with that. If you're concerned about the safety of these chemical sunscreens, and let me say it's not clear you need to be based on this thing, then use mineral sunscreens like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. They reflect the sun instead of absorbing it. They're proven safe, but, uh, you know, they they do kind of look funny. So, Barry, sunscreen on a plane, fear or fear not? Fear not. Use it if you want, but unless you're a pilot or you sit in the window seat a lot with the shade up, You probably don't need to. Sunscreen and cancer, fear or fear not? Definitely fear not. Wear sunscreen. Snakes on a plane, fear or fear not? Fear. Headline number two. This one comes from a listener named Jessica who asks, Hey, Barry and Alonzo, I watch The Bachelor on ABC online, so I have to watch the commercials. All of the car ads talk about how safe the new cars are. I drive a 10-year-old Honda, and I'm about to have a baby. All the safety talk is making me worried that I'm driving a death trap. Are new cars that much safer, or is it just the commercials making me feel that way? One thing's for sure. The fear factor in advertising is as old as advertising itself, and it works. For many products, fear sells better than sex, if you could imagine that. Fear is one of the best ways to provoke action. And I mean action like going to a website, taking your credit card out and making a purchase, making a call to the 800 number they give you. Fear stimulates high brand attachment also, which is something that advertisers are after. Jessica's question, though, is about car ads, and this goes way back, Jessica. Volvo established itself in the U.S. this way. It was initially the safety brand. And you remember the visual in this? A car goes over the top of a building. Every year, brand new Volvos are sacrificed for your safety. We've done it for ages. Every Volvo is designed to fold and wrinkle in a totally predictable fashion to absorb the immense power of a crash to keep the passengers safe and sound inside. 
We've shown the world how safe a car can be, and legislators have encouraged other car makers to follow suit. Deep down, we knew that sooner or later people would demand safer cars. We built them sooner. Volvo, making cars safer. So, you know, you're supposed to be afraid of all the other car makers. You remember those cars, right? They were like boxy and they crashed all the time in the commercials. If you didn't buy a Volvo, you were a terrible parent. I don't know that the Volvos were really any safer back then. Maybe they were, but the ads certainly worked for them. And now Volvos moved to an upscale brand and they look good, but someone's taken over this safety thing. Check it out. I first met James when he moved here in the fifth grade. We fell in love and got married right after college. And a few years later, started a family of our own. The boys grew up fast. But then one night, a truck didn't stop. But thanks to our forester, neither did our story. drive a Subaru. Alonzo, whatever happened to love is what makes a Subaru a Subaru? Remember that whole thing? That's what they used to say. Now, apparently, uh, fear is what makes a Subaru a Subaru. I think that loving in the back of a Subaru led to the kid who the family is now protecting <laughs> in the Subaru Forester. You know, I'll tell you my favorite safety commercial, the Mercedes G-Wagon, which is that big square military looking Mercedes. I always love this commercial. They showed it, you know, the the uh, crash test that they do, and it went right through the wall, and it, it's in the engineering office, and the engineers are like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> hey, what are you guys doing in there? My office, oh. So if you really want indestructible, just get yourself a Mercedes G-Wagon and drive through walls. There's no one more vulnerable to this than mothers, right? This The whole SUV craze came from them scaring parents and saying, you can't transport your child in a car. You need a big, giant SUV. You know, her question, is her 10-year-old car safe? I think it is. Safety stuff probably really started in the 90s, and now if she has a 10-year-old car, the odds are pretty good that it has anti-lock brakes. It definitely has airbags, and if she uses the proper child seat and put them in the back so that the airbag doesn't hit them, I think as long as her 10-year-old car is safe, checked out by a mechanic, she's okay. Yeah, that's the key point. The number one danger in old cars, safety danger, is old tires. Buy new tires if you need to. You don't necessarily need to buy a whole new car for that. But none of this is new. Modern fear-based advertising can be traced back to the 1920s. In fact, you can trace it back to a product that's still on the market today, Listerine. The Martins have been happily married for a year. But something's gone wrong. Halitosis, bad breath, is no help to a happy home. So Betsy left Listerine by the basin where Bob would see it. Listerine stops bad breath four times better than any toothpaste. Nothing wrong with the Martin's marriage that Listerine couldn't fix. 
Well, I guess the ads work because Listerine's still around. That's right. And the Martins are still married. (laughs) Well, sure. It's four times better, right? You heard that. This is from an early TV commercial. It's from the 1950s. And by then, Listerine had already spent 20-plus years striking fear in the hearts of Americans just by this kind of thing, right? And they still advertise the same way. I don't think they say it causes divorce anymore. There are actually a lot of these kinds of ads that play on germophobia. There are campaigns, not just back in the good old days, but here's one that's a little closer to the present. This one's from the 90s. You got kids? You got germs. You definitely need Liquid Dial. It has a special germ-killing formula other liquid soaps don't. And it's hardly worth getting soap on your hands if you're not killing germs. Liquid Dial. Kill the germs. Keep the kids. Well, that's nice of him to say, keep the kids. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like we're still suckers for this germophobic pitch. I remember this one because I travel, that they said that you should spray the hotel telephone and the remote with Lysol or else the germs will kill you. And I was like, who's using the hotel phone? (laughs) (laughs) The product that lives off of exactly that kind of fear-mongering these days doing very well is Purell. If there's one thing we all need, it's a hand to hold. That's why we make Purell Advanced Hand Sanitizer. 80% of germs can be transmitted by hand. And when used daily, Purell Advanced helps reduce your chance of getting sick. It's no wonder Purell is the number one brand trusted by hospitals and moms. Because we all know it's about more than health. It's about showing you care. They always throw in moms. If moms are trusting it, it's the way to go. Now, I'll admit I use it because in my job I shake too many hands. Well, this one you know is a combo, right? You're supposed to be afraid of the germs and you're supposed to be afraid that you're a bad parent if you don't do it. I have a friend who is a scientist and she works with blood samples and so on. And she told me that, um, I think we've talked about this, but the Purell is creating superbugs. Oh, absolutely. That, you know, so... Every talk I give, I make the point that if you care about the environment, stop using antibacterial soaps, and you'll save some money also. But the thing is, it's not just uh, consumer products. You know, it's not just soaps and cars where they use fear to sell. Not-for-profits do this also. This one's from uh, the NRA that ran during the 2016 presidential race. A man attacked me in a parking garage, tried to stab me with an eight-inch knife but I carry a pistol. I fight back. That's why I'm still here. Every woman has a right to defend herself with a gun if she chooses. Hillary Clinton disagrees with that. Don't let politicians take away your right to own a gun. Donald Trump supports my right to own a gun. He supports your right for a few other things, but uh, I know, I know, no Trump this episode. Yeah, and you know, look, I'm a critic of all fear-based advertising. I make a point of not buying products or supporting organizations that use a lot of fear-based uh, marketing. And if a do-gooder organization, you know, a nonprofit, if it's one that I already support and that I like and they send me a fear-based appeal, I write to them. And I say, stop doing it or I'm not going to give you any more money. So, Barry, here it is. Fear-mongering commercials. Fear or fear not? Fear not, but now that you've heard this, you should be better at spotting whether commercials and advertisers are using fear campaigns on you. And I would hope that you would give some serious thought to whether you want to buy or support 
an organization or a marketer that's adding more fear to our already high level of fear in society. Down in Florida, we welcome you to the Sunshine State. Barry, it is time for Fear Florida. Here's the headline. Florida man throws feces at a judge, says it's protein, it's good for you. A Miami criminal trial was delayed when a defendant, Dorleans Philidor, 33, defecated on himself and then threw his feces at the judge, yelling, it's protein, it's good for you. So, Philidor is sitting in a wheelchair near the judge named Lisa Walsh. She was his intended target. Now, thankfully, the poop bomb missed her. She scrambled away as her bailiff yelled for her to run. You know... This is something I've never seen on Law & Order. This <laughs> this is definitely a Florida story. You're sitting there and you poop in your chair, in your hand, and you throw it at the judge, and the, and the bailiff yells, run. So this is the second time in two days that Mr. Philidor's potty fetish delayed the trial. The day before, he was in a holding cell next to the courtroom when he defecated and smeared it all over himself and the cell. At then they bring him to the trial the next day? <laughs> Did they think he got over it? It's Florida. <sighs> the corrections officers had to whisk him away through a hallway, which was permeated by the smell, and the courtroom had to be clean and disinfected. A doctor was appointed to evaluate Mr. Philidor. Really? Because lawyers and the judge wanted to know if he was faking mental illness for sympathy. That is an exceptional way to fake mental illness. But, uh, you know, I, I think I know most of the diagnostic categories for the various psychiatric disorders, and I've never seen that one. You know, they, they might need to add that. I'm just wondering who was the doctor and what did he do wrong that he was chosen to evaluate this guy? We got a problem with this guy defecating on himself, rubbing it on walls and throwing it at people. You want to go see him? I don't think so. Apparently, they decided he wasn't faking it, and they decided that smearing poop on the wall did not qualify for crazy because the next day they proceeded with the closing arguments, and uh, I think we now know how that turned out. That's when he showed up and went after the judge with his poop bomb. Now, despite the second outburst, Judge Walsh moved the whole trial to a new minty fresh courtroom to continue with the closing. Jurors deliberated for about an hour, then found Philidor. Drum roll, please. Not guilty. Mr. Philidor, however, was not released. He was still facing a separate trial for Grand Theft Auto. It is unclear whether he will face charges related to his poo flinging. Here's my thing. If you threw poop at a judge and you are not charged, mm, that's going to establish a bad precedent. I'm just saying. Fear Florida. We devote most of the show to debunking things people want you to fear that you shouldn't. But every week, Barry tells us one thing we should fear. Okay, Barry, hit us. What is your fear of the week? It's income inequality, Alonso, and not for the reasons that I bet you think. Well, I know it's out of control. I actually read a headline in the Washington Post that said income inequality is rising so fast our data can't even keep up with it. And there have been a whole lot of these kinds of headlines, not just in the newspapers, but even in business magazines. Fortune magazine ran a story recently that had this title, Gilded Age 2.0, U.S. income inequality increases to pre-Great Depression level. 
And there have been lots of articles like this. A couple of weeks ago, there was a new analysis that came out that got some attention. This was an analysis of the top 25 wealthiest family dynasties. And what this found is that the 25 super rich families control a total of $1.4 trillion in assets. That includes the Waltons, you know, the Walmart people. It includes the famous Koch brothers, the Mars Candy Bars people. And these people, these 25 super rich families, they make as much as $4 million every single hour. And meanwhile, one out of 10 people in the world live on less than $2 a day. Bloomberg called the numbers mind-boggling. You know, I think we knew about this, particularly with the Walton family, when they talked about how the Walton family's billionaires and how many, you know, employees of Walmart are getting food stamps to subsidize their their low income. I didn't know it was that big. That That is absolutely huge. But there are billionaires who are definitely concerned about this. Take Ray Dalio, for example. He's a billionaire hedge fund manager, and he went on 60 Minutes recently. I don't know if you saw this. Here's what he said. He said, if you look at history, if you have a group of people who have very different economic conditions, and then you have an economic turndown, you have conflict. And by the way, he's a longtime Republican, and he's not the only billionaire to sound this alarm. Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Jamie Dimon, he's the chair of J.P. Morgan Chase, even Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, they've all made addressing the wealth gap a top priority because of the danger that it presents to society and the country. You can only push people so far, right? And, and poor people are getting poorer. They're losing services. They're losing hope. They're, you know, things aren't getting any better. I think people are tired of being lied to. Uh, they've finally caught on that trickle down isn't trickling down. It's my fear of the week because high levels of inequality are bad for everybody. They're bad for you, me, rich, poor, middle class, liberal, conservative, you name it. Here's how an editor of the Harvard Magazine put it in the Harvard Magazine. Living in a society with wide disparities is worse for all the society's members, even the well-off. She cited research showing that high inequality is a major factor in poor physical and mental health throughout the society, worsening relations between racial groups. It leads to less civic and political participation. It even correlates with lower levels of happiness in the society. If society's crumbling, like being rich isn't going to save you. You know, this is sort of like 2008, right? In 2008, the economy was bad for everybody. They stopped the bleeding. I think they stopped the bleeding just before the pitchforks came out because the, the worst thing is when people feel like they have nothing to lose. Well, you know, I think that's probably a major reason why a lot of these billionaires are concerned about it, to protect themselves partly, right? But that's not why I am. It's because it affects everybody. And in a lot of different ways, not just the obvious ways. A study that was published earlier this year in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, the heart doctor people, it found this, that the higher level of income inequality, the higher the rate of cardiovascular deaths and hospitalizations throughout the society. And inequality is associated with a whole lot of things that are bad across the society. Infant mortality rates, shorter height, low birth weight, AIDS, obesity, imprisonment rates, and depression. Just the great inequality itself leads to higher rates throughout the society. There are a couple of epidemiologists named Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett 
and they've been studying income inequality for years, the title of one of their articles says it all. Greater equality makes societies healthier and richer. Within the United States, for example, people live longer in the more equal states. So in Hawaii, which has a relatively equitable income distribution, people can expect to live nearly seven years longer than in highly unequal states like Mississippi. With all due respect to these scientists, I could have told you that people in Hawaii are going to live longer than people in Mississippi. (laughs) Just saying. But you know what happens when you talk to people about reducing inequality? What most people think is that doing that is only going to help poor people. But the truth is that greater equality helps everybody. Rates of mental illness are three times as high in the most unequal societies. In more unequal societies, people are two to three times as likely to be obese. Murder rates are often many times higher. So there's, it's, you know, there are big effects of this. Okay, Barry, I get it. I mean, this issue isn't new, but it's hard to undo. I mean, we have this fear of the word socialism, right? When that's what, that's what the fear mongers call fairness, right? Socialism. And um, if you listen to the news, they're saying wages are going up. But, but what can really be done, Barry? What's, what's, what's going to help with this? So definitely the most common way is, in fact, taxing the rich so that you can do things like provide better schools and health care and other services for everybody. That would probably have to be a piece of it. But countries like Japan managed to achieve low levels of inequality without higher taxes. Okay, but let's be honest. Whenever you hear redistribution of wealth, people call it socialism and panic. And this is one more time where so many people voted against their own interests. There were poor people, lots of poor people, voted for Donald Trump. To some extent, that's absolutely true. But here's here's what I want to say. Experts on reducing inequality, they say that there are other routes. For example, you can invest in more well-paying jobs. That's something that a lot of people support, including a lot of business people. You can reform the criminal justice system so that we spend less money on putting nonviolent criminals in jail, leaving us more money for things like schools and job training. The last time I checked, uh, I think it costs an average of about 80000 a year to incarcerate somebody here where we're sitting in California. There are better things to do with that money, like hiring people to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure would be one thing. And as for who pays for it, Here's Barry's tip of the week. When something's broken, you know, think about an old car or a broken washing machine, you're going to spend a ton of money trying to keep it running. That's one option. But if you just fix it right the first time, it might cost more money up front, but in the long run, it's going to save you a lot of money. By failing to address income inequality, you know what we're doing? We're spending billions dealing with higher rates of illness, both physical and mental, and all those other ills that I mentioned a few minutes ago. It's costing a lot for what? Well, you're preaching to the choir because I absolutely agree with you. I think the problem is this is a tough sell, getting people to understand why increasing taxes on the rich is a good thing. Spending money on education rather than incarceration is a brilliant use of funds, but it, it's a tough sell. I don't know who's going to get people to believe this. I think the way you do it is what we're doing right here, right? That's why I, I really wanted it to be the fear of the week this week. If people understand how dangerous it is to them and how this money is better spent, and on their behalf also, they can support some of these things. All right. 
Hope you're right. Dr. Barry says, fear soaring income inequality. It's time for a nightcap. Every week, Barry and his crack research team dig for a story that's so ridiculous it sounds too stupid to be true. And you get to guess, Alonzo, if it's real or someone made it up. This week's nightcap is about drinking alone, and it's pretty stupid. The headline is simple enough. Embracing Pants Drunk, the Finnish Way of Drinking Alone in Your Underwear. If you're drinking in your underwear... I hope you're alone, or at least with a consenting adult. To describe Pants Drunk, here's a clip from the guy who wrote the book on the subject. I'm Iska Rantanen. Greetings from Helsinki. Finland is the happiest country in the world. Pants Drunk is about getting drunk at home, in your underwear, with no intention to go out. It's cold. It's cold in Finland. It's a cold winter day. You want to get pants drunk. You don't need pants. You just need some booze. So, Alonso, what do you say? Is it true or made up? Uh, I say real. I'm just jealous of this guy that he gets to write books about this stuff. <laughs> Sounds more fun than what I do. Fins may use the term more casually now when they want to enjoy someone's company in the comfort of their own home with a drink and maybe, I don't know, a sauna. To us, drinking alone sounds sad, lonely, but not so much for the Fins. Pants drunk is not about drinking. It's about me time. Cheap alcohol or just whatever is available is an absolute no-no. One article said that Finns generally don't say hello to one another on the street or in the bus and that they're used to enduring long, tough winters, sometimes in total darkness. So, Barry, it's sounding more and more like I got this one right. Before I answer, let's hear this other clip. Relaxing pants-drunk activities can include singing, belching, Game playing, flatulating, laser and masturbating, or even screaming into a pillow. Sounds like a real thing. I got to know, Barry. Is it true or is it made up? I'm happy to tell you, Alonzo, it's real. I'm not sure if it's something to be happy about, but I kind of knew it. Long, cold winters spent alone. You do a little, little pants drinking. I'm not here to judge people. <laughs> Live it up in the privacy of your own home. You did a little drinking, a little flatulating. Yeah, good. Pants drunk's not for everyone. If you have a history of alcoholism or concerns with your drinking habits, pants drunk is probably not a great idea. If not, drop your pants, propose a toast by yourself in your shorts, and that's why this is our nightcap. Just please remember the shorts. Cheers, everybody. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. And we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone and Company entertainment production hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is David I. Legal Beagles, Loeb and Loeb. Crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown. 
Betsy Amster and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.